Welcome to Wish, the Women in Technology Creative Industries Hub, elevating the voices of women in tech. My name is Bishi, the founder of Wish. In this podcast, I'll be talking to a woman in tech about her work, journey, life, and process. In this episode, I'll be talking to Afrofuturist and multidisciplinary artist Wando Abize about pushing the frontiers of what it means to be an artist today. Please do like, review, and subscribe. We're a new podcast, and every bit of support helps. I'll start the interview by asking, how would you describe your practice? Um, so I've, I've got the standard thing that I'm trying to <laughs> narrow down on biographies. So I, I say that I'm multidisciplinary. Um, that's the easiest kind of starting word. I was saying this to somebody recently, and I, I think it can sound absurd, but I'm not really interested in art. I'm interested in trying to understand myself, the world, the universe and everything in that and outside of that. Um, And art is a useful tool for that. And the multiplicity of art forms will be more or less useful at any one time. And so science is really useful for that and technology is really useful for that and geology is really useful for that. And at any one point, I'm just at a certain point in my life using something to find out something else and to explore that. So my my process is really explorative. It's very research-based. It's very, um, I always like to learn something new. Like that, I've realised that's an essential element with any project that I start. There's always a new, there's always something new I'm learning. Um, I'm always, I'm always at the beginning. I'm always an amateur. So like I spent most of the last three or four years working with neuroscientists, you know, and I'm, I'm an idiot and I'm fine with that. <laughs> and, I, I, don't think, I don't think you're an idiot. I, well, I mean, in the, in the best sense of the word. Maybe in the tarot, um, in, 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 the, um, in the archetype, you'd be the fool or a magician. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I definitely relate to that. I think I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm on, I'm on a quest. I'm, I'm, I'm a questioner. And then I'm, I'm an Afrofuturist that feels like a very comfortable place for me to sit again because it's it can swim in and out of genres and forms but fundamentally it's it's understanding that there's wisdoms and traditions and practices that have been maligned or or appropriated or really cast aside and and I'm interested in in those forms and I'm interested in a a very speculative sci-fi way of approaching work and life um and then there's like you know and then it just comes like the kind of standard things you know I make music I make sound I I make performance I but then it keeps on expanding like I've I've been it's been really amazing I've I've, I've, I got into this amazing thing called the Yorkshire Sculpture Network. So, so now I'm my process. I'm thinking about sculpture. I'm thinking a lot about uh, design at the moment, and 
yeah I'm also neurodivergent that feels like an important label for me these days and I'm really interested in the wisdom again it's like the wisdom that's contained in this subsection of society that's been hidden or oppressed or subsumed and what happens when you allow those these people my people to you know space to flourish and support from my understanding you're essentially self-taught where did you grow up and was there like like was there any kind of art making growing up because you move beautifully and you know and and your your dances it's yeah uh, you know did you do any kind of dance study or is it entirely something like all of these disciplines you've learn organically so to speak no yeah no oh god I hope I didn't write that down somewhere no I'm I'm very trained actually in lots of ways I I grew up like for as long as I can remember I think since I was like two or three I was in dance lessons and I was in them till I was like 18 like the 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 thing that I've probably spent the longest time in terms of time periods I'm doing is is like ballet and and classical piano like I did them all through my childhood and and it's funny it's only like I went away to university and I was like you know those are childhood things I was like looking back I was like I was really good I was at a really high standard at the, at the age of 18 it was like the real probably the pinnacle of my like technical prowess in anything was like ballet and piano yeah so I so I I'm very trained actually and I think being very trained at that young age is probably the thing that's helped me to go into lots of different areas. So I kind of, I guess I, I guess I, because I'm kind of self-taught in, type, in terms of composition. Right, yeah. I think that's something that, and then and things that have spun off from that, like making sound art and I guess, yeah. Yeah. And so ritual is very central to your practice. Could you tell, like, could you describe some of the rituals that have gone on in your uh, multimedia performances? Or could you expand a little bit on, you know, the on the place of, of ritual and how you use it within your work? Yeah. So I, I use the word ritual in two ways in, I guess, ritual in let's say high ritual ceremonial ritual which I connect to myth like ritual and myth that that type of ritual goes side by side with myth and it's it's the practical it's the practical outward expression of of a myth it's a making sense of a myth like like the acting out of the nativity at Christmas would be a ritual to to kind of get into that myth of of the of the Christ birth and to to embody it and then there's ritual in the kind of more 20th century psychological way which is you know the the things everybody does every day to to in order to, to, to get through the day in order to 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 hold themselves down to hold themselves together to make sense of things whether that's the way I was talking to someone the other day on on the zoom chat and they were rolling a cigarette and it's just that's a very standard ritualistic action I see a lot of people doing it might be the way you brush your teeth it might be the just the way you move around your home and both of these types of ritual are really important and interesting to me both of them I bring into the work I'm interested in experiences that can bring people together, that can bring people through pain into 
into beauty, into catharsis. And so it's, there's this, there's this kind of practical idea, which is that, well, if I can find a shared ritual, then maybe people can move through that together. And it's always, it's always an experimental process because the, the point is in our society, we have less and less shared rituals. An obvious one might be the way people behave at a football match. It's a really great shared ritual that's massively cathartic. You, you get this real sense of belonging. You know, and people have this like insanely important connection to their football teams and to the, the idea of, of the game. And so it's finding things like that whilst understanding that lots of people coming to my performances won't have that shared sense of ritual. They don't have the same religion. They don't have the same cultural background. So yeah, so that's always my interest in, in, in finding that kind of like high shared ritual. And I've done it in, in lots of different ways. In um, my exhibition, Distorted Constellations, there's an element of, of ritual behaviors and inviting people to engage in ritual behaviors from the way that the space is laid out and people move through the space and in a way reenact certain secret kind of magical movements that I've put into the installation to the more obvious elements like there's a performance as part of the exhibition called Intimacy Touch Tingles where performers use certain ASMR actions and come around and and do certain types of touch to the audience and, and bring a, a bowl of water around with certain smells and all these very kind of multi-sensory rituals and then make them these, these pancakes. And so it's, it's, it's quite, it's, it's an approach and it manifests differently in pretty much every piece that I do. And did you grow up with religion? then or did you have like a religious because I, I grew up with Hinduism right mm. but I like obviously... that you did that because I think a lot of people <laughs> yeah. people don't yeah. monotheistic people like to make other religions into monotheistic religions right and and have the same kind of ideas and structures and ways of working whereas it's like yeah, yeah quote, like quotation marks to, to, to listeners. I mean, I, I've studied Indian classical music and that's deeply mm. spiritual, that comes from the scriptures. But the actual, like, going to festivals was just about dressing up, all the aunties gossiping, everyone saying who's fat, who drives a rubbish car. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... It, so it, yeah, I can really relate to this. Like, obviously, we're not from the same culture, but there's some real shared things. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Nigerian. This just sounds like, yeah, every yeah. family event. Yeah, yeah. It's like, who, you know, who's got a rubbish job? Who's driving a rubbish car? Who's having an affair? You know, it's, it's, it's all of that. And I think later on in my teens, because I, I started through queer performance art, I think that's why I had so many drag queen friends growing up, because it's the same thing. Everyone <laughs> being shady, everyone reading each other. And the know. fabulousness. Yes. That's really <laughs> important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, like, like the absolute fabulousness. So now I understand that you are a trained pianist. What are the first pieces of music that you can remember that had a really big impact on you growing up? It's funny, there wasn't a lot of music in my house growing up. And recently I've been thinking that's because my mum's... <laughs> I don't know, you can't, you can't like... Um, 
you can't decide what other people are but she's my mum and I've known her for a long time and she just strikes me as very neurodivergent she has very specific associations with sound I remember growing up her saying certain sounds were banging on her head and I think she has this very real audio sensitivity so I think we just didn't have a lot of music in the house but I don't know it's oh god that's such a wide question I know it's, um, I, it's deep but for example like one of the big pieces of music or, or sort of first musical things that really had a huge effect on me was the Muppets like that was the first <laughs> time I would have understood what a band was yeah and that music is 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 genius like Saul whatever his name is who wrote who wrote mm. Rainbow Connection, you know, th- that's an extraordinary song. I know grown adults who still get reduced to tears when they, like, look at the opening of, of, of the Muppet movie. But anyway, but yeah, like that, you know, and then, and then there were, like, random, some random Bollywood films that we loved <laughs> as well that were totally inappropriate for children. But we just, me and my sister just, just loved it anyway, you know. Too many things come to mind and I can't, I can't <laughs> extract them from each other. Okay, okay, here's one. Like a Prayer, which was like, my sister was really cool when, so when I was like about five, like my sister was like eight and she was like so cool and she knew all the music and she had smash hits and she had posters on the wall. And I remember she really loved that song and I hated it because because it was on top of the pops and it was, and it was the music video. Oh God, the music video. It still makes me feel really upset. Really? God, we've come back to Christ. Yeah, he's, he's the, you know, there's this, there's this black Christ in it and the police assault him. Oh wow, Madonna was great, wasn't she? The police like, um, yeah, say he committed a crime. He didn't commit a murder. He didn't commit. That, that piece of music was actually really dark for me. I find well, it really I- upsetting, but I love it now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I totally get what, what, why that would be. I mean, because there are lots of burning crosses and it's very emotional. Like, even I've seen her perform it just on, on YouTube or wherever. Like, even now in a contemporary setting, it's a really, really emotional piece of music. It's great so, and it's so cathartic. Yeah. When I used to DJ, I'd put that on sometimes. Everyone always went crazy. It's, it's, got, yeah. it's got a great structure as well and... I used to, when I used to do tap dancing, I feel like the first music that would be in my head quite a lot as a kid was a lot of like like jazz, because that was like the music that was played for, for us doing tap dancing. I think that's how I first got into like jazz. Yeah. It's like six. I've also read and I've researched that you had or, or yeah, you, you have a condition called visual snow. Yeah. Um, is that something that just affected your childhood or do you still have it now? Yeah, I've still got it. So visual snow is, it's a very new condition in terms of the, you know, the scientific understanding of it. It was only first named in 2014 and it's, it's thought of, so it would be said that I have visual snow syndrome, which is, a, it's a collection of perceptual symptoms, some of them visual, but also some audio, some um, psychological, but it's it's basically a, a perceptual difference as far as in my in my, in experience, my experience, which means, which means that, that I, I see um, one of the most obvious things is I see after images of 
of everything. So, you know, like an after image, like if you look at a light and then look away, you can still see the light. So I have that with, with everything all the time in my, in my kind of field of vision. And I, I see a very kind of transparent, but slightly colored, it's hard to describe, explain, but a kind of um, pointillist painting style world. <laughs> and yeah, and there's, 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 there's many other symptoms but um, it's something that I've just always, it's always just been my experience of the world. I only realised, as is common for people who have perceptual differences, I only realised in the last few last years few that years, everybody, everybody didn't see the world like that. Or everyone didn't experience the world like that. And it's, um, yeah, but it's, I think realising that about myself has really helped me creatively it's helped me accept certain things about myself understand certain things about myself the way that I process information the way that I just am in the world how like how much light is a really sensitive thing for me how much I don't know being in certain spaces for certain periods of time is just really tiring depending on the, the different sensory information that's that's coming in so, so it's, it's and and just just learning more about the brain it's just been fascinating and did it influence distorted constellations yeah yeah exactly it was it was it was the real it was the real inception of it it was I mean distorted constellations in one way is a type of experience of being in my reality or in an element of my reality and I think learning about it just helped me understand just the complexity of our brains, the complexity of, of our experience of the world. And so in a way, the exhibition for me is like always a failure because it, it can describe or give a certain idea of my perception and of my reality, but, also, but then it's not. It's like such a narrow idea of that reality you know it's our, our realities are so vast and our experience of the world so vast but then in a way it always succeeds because the point is each person who goes into the exhibition and it's, it's very immersive they, they're only ever going to be able to meet that my reality with their reality and my reality is then filtered through ever theirs and whatever they're bringing and their background and their psychology and their culture and their own where they sit on the neurodiverse spectrum. And it's a truly multidisciplinary piece. So I'm really interested in where did your love of technology begin? Oh my God, this is such an interesting question for me at the moment. In one way, this is kind of like me. I'm an artist. I'm not interested in art. And I work with technology. And I'm not interested in technology. But it's not true. I am. Where did my love of technology come from? I'm, at the moment, I'm really interested in the idea of indigenous technologies from around the world that don't fit into the kind of European post-enlightenment idea of technology being about machinery that's abstracted from the human you know that's the way that western technology goes becomes more and more abstracted and then you know and then comes back around to the singularity and <laughs> becomes part of us but um 
so I think I think I've always been interested to me technology is about I understand technology in quite a wide way and it's about processes of processes of building which yeah which again can be really broad and it might include ritual and it might include ceremony and it might include different types of philosophies and so I think I've I feel like I've always just been interested in that as a way of developing and understanding in the kind of more more narrow sense of like like distorted constellation has a lot of immersive technologies in it it has like projection and it has um, ambisonic sound and those using those things were more just reactions to okay how do I create this experience of visual snow and I always feel like visual snow is is kind of like an augmented reality so it just felt very analogous to use those types of immersive tech so yeah it's 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 like the technology for me definitely comes secondary to the idea and it's always about what can be in service to the exploration do you have an interest in ASMR i think ASMR is so fascinating it feels like a very it's it's so contemporary in that it wasn't discovered by scientists in the narrow idea of what we consider a scientist it it arrived online and it came and it's the kind of thing that could only really have started to be understood and researched and explored in the age of the internet because it was lots of people coming together saying i experienced this do you oh wow yeah, no, I experienced that. No, I have never, no one around me has ever talked about that. But we people have found our community online. It doesn't matter the geographical different distance, we can, we can express that. So I think it's really interesting in that way. I think it's really interesting that it's about intimacy through, via, you know, through the screen, which is something that's so important right now. It's really interesting that it's a it's it's a it's a cross modal experience. Actually, there's a neuroscientist I'm working with at the moment, and Professor Sophie Scott, and her in her department, one of her PhD students is is researching ASMR. And I feel like what they're doing is probably going to be one of the the most rigorous kind of like one of the most interesting studies that's been done so far on it. And I've been talking to them, and she said something really interesting about it that perhaps. It's the, the, the so that the sounds of ASMR and the touch reminders of intimate touch. So there's something about association. And I think that's really interesting with these, you know, ASMR is, is a perceptual difference. Not everybody we think experiences it, but the people who do, it can be such a powerful experience. It can calm anxiety. It can... You know, it can help you get to sleep. It can create this feeling whilst you're watching somebody on a screen of that you have this intimate connection. So it just, yeah, it really ticks all my boxes. It's, yeah, definitely a, a it, it comes through this form of technology. I know I'm not interested in technology. I don't know why I say these things. Um, it comes through this form of technology. It's, it's, it's super contemporary, but it's about intimacy, this thing that we are always going to need and crave.
Absolutely. And this is jumping a little bit further back into your career. And I understand that there's going to be no more Lady Vondra D records. But she I'm did. really <laughs> you did, yeah. But I'm really um, interested that you created her as an alter ego with Jonathan Grieve. With Jonathan Grieve, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What was Lady Vondra D about? I know she's in the past, but, you know, I mean, come on, her videos were great. Oh, thank you. She's only dead in this dimension, in an alternate dimension. She's, you know, in multiple parallel dimensions. She's very much alive. Yeah, I created her with Jonathan Grieve. Jonathan Grieve no longer wants me to to perform her. And that was getting uh, quite tiring. So I thought it was best to, to kill her. And she, I mean, she is, she was a way for me to explore Afrofuturism, my connection with ancestry and the the ritual cultures of the Black Atlantic. She was a way for me to, to explore working with personas. I don't think I'd be able to perform on stage without some kind of persona, although I am going to do it soon, so we'll see how that goes. She... She yeah, she was a real repository for exploring all all these things and mythopoesia, this 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 idea of of narrative building, you know, this long-term narrative building. Like I wrote stories about her, I wrote kind of comic books about her. I not none of these have ever anyone's ever seen them, but I, I wrote all those. You know, each song has like a whole other like bigger history and story behind it there's a very like real visual world for me with her so it was it always made sense that she was she was always existing in in performance and and music are there other afrofuturists that you admire who would they be or maybe you're not into yeah. other no, yeah, no, definitely. I just don't know that all of them would call themselves Afrofuturists. Octavia Butler is a major inspiration, who's just an amazing sci-fi writer. She's definitely an influence. A lot of the other Afrofuturists, I'd say, I mean, like someone like Janelle Monáe, I'd, I'd say me, musically, the Afrofuturists don't tend to influence me that much, but just just their just their amazingness you know sun ra <laughs> yeah hello um, but yeah i think it's always been more the 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 writers their world building the way like octavia butler could just create these massive sagas and go into she always really goes into you know what it is to have a body and what it means and what's the connection between people and the, the bodies? It's always this very visceral thing, which actually isn't something that's really gone into my work. But I think more, more the world building. So you're involved with something called Hildegard Visions at Snake Matings. Um, snake Maltings, yeah. Snake Maltings, oh my God, that's sorry. Okay. Snake um, Maltings sounds way better. <laughs> I never went there, but I'll go. Lol. Yeah, I could talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Hilde- I could talk about it forever. Hildegard von Bingen was a 12th century nun and visionary. She had visions from God. She was 
She's thought of as the first Western art composer. She wrote down her visions and that they're beautifully illuminated. And she was a taxonomist and she charted all the natural world. And she was a politician and she spoke with popes and kings. And she was a preacher and she toured Europe with her amazing apocalyptic visions. She was incredible. And I just, I love just spending time thinking about her and I've been working on the project for years and years and it's some kind of operatic experience it's it's a it's definitely a a music or sound theatre experience and I really came to it actually at the same time as making Distorted Constellations I was interested in finding other artists through history who may have had some kind of perceptual difference and that maybe informed their artwork and it's a you want to kind of hiding to nowhere because you can't posthumously diagnose people but I have my points of finding similarity like everybody does with with the artists they admire and and then that's that's what it is and I find her the way she talks about her visions very connected to me that 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 very live, active, she describes them as waking visions, as opposed to a lot of the other saints who it like they was kind of transported to some somewhere else. It's this idea of like waking visions. That I really relate to that. And I have experiences of that. And I but I don't associate them as being from from a spiritual place, like from 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 a god. I just assume that my brain is pretty pretty quirky <laughs> and the world's pretty crazy I mean this universe is insane in case anyone hadn't noticed so yeah that was my way in was that being interested in the way that she thought um and the way that she processed that and made that built this life around it and she had the most incredible life and so I wanted I just want to create a piece that connects with her spirit and her energy as I understand it and invites people into that and it has a very, again, a very strong ritual basis. She went through this, she, well, we, we assume, I think, um, so Fiona Maddox wrote this amazing uh, book about her. And um, it's understood that she went through this particular ritual when she was a child, when she was um, sent to the monastery to, to live out her life as an anchorite. And it's a ritual that contains a lot of the funeral liturgy and it um, and it has portions where the child has to lie down on the floor and be covered with earth or leaves and proclaim these words that they're now dead to the world and here they will remain. So it's very much a, a death ritual and it's very much death rites and it's a child doing it. And I was just fascinated by what that potentially could do to you and for you and how you know, yeah, what kind of a life you have after that. And I wanted, yeah, I was interested in people experiencing that. Because death rituals, as far as I understand, almost always contain an element of rebirth. And so there's something powerful about the ability for us to consciously enter into experiencing them. And I understand that the Juice Ensemble performed one of your pieces yeah juice yeah um which piece was this 
So that's a piece called The Birth of Venus, speaking of death and birth. And yeah, that was really cool. So they asked me and Gazelle Twin and someone else. I'm sorry, one more name, but I've just forgotten it. But I am actually having a migraine aura at the moment. So I will uh, I will allow it. Yeah, they wanted to, they commissioned us to make some pieces about, about Venus. And I... I loved writing that so much. It's one of the funnest things I've ever done. I love writing about goddesses and it gave me a great opportunity to to do some research into Venus. And I was just really, I'm always really into looking at the, you know, the older analogues of these, you know, (laughs) she's not exactly a modern goddess, but she is quite a modern goddess in some ways and then, you know, in the span of human existence and the older analogues, which come from, you know, further south and further east. And so, but she has all these, you know, even in ancient Greece, she had all these, there was all these different types of Venus, which is really normal in pantheistic spiritual systems. Venus Kalipigos, I can't pronounce anything properly. <laughs> Venus Edicina. My favourite one was Venus with the big buttocks. Oh, which... yeah, 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 yeah. I forget, I, like, the, the one that's really round, that it looks yeah. like it is beaded. Um, I could Google, but I just want to focus yeah. on... <laughs> but yeah, I mean, which totally makes sense. It's like, of course, I mean, there's always got to be, you know, very, you know, real, really connected to fertile, really connected to like, you know, the body and and and, and the, the, the the largeness of the female forms really important um, in in ancient spiritualities and should be in contemporary ones. But um, yeah, so I just had this, I just had these visions of like. Um, oh, there's this great book by Ben Ockrey called The Famished Road. And there's this amazing moment where the father of the protagonist is imprisoned and he calls on his ancestors and they all arrive and they're all arriving all through the night. And I just, that scene has always just really stayed with me. And in the morning, he's kind of like burnt and purified by the experience, like covered with like a fine diamond dust and that kind of purifying fire. And yeah, I just, I loved that idea of, of going on this, in the piece, somebody goes on this walk and, 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 and goes into this experience of calling on all these Venuses and they're just all arriving and, 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 and I don't know, passing through them and, and bringing some kind of knowledge. So yeah, it's, it was it was just a really beautiful thing to write for them and and also just to we did a session where I just heard what they can do and they're just all brilliant and they can just do these amazing sounds. I was like, I want that sound and that sound and that sound. So it was just really it was so much more fun than writing music for myself because I could just go, yeah, and then they can just do that and do that. And I don't have to worry about me actually being able to do them because I know that they can just you know, just open their mouths and these amazing sounds come out. So it was um, a real pleasure. I love writing for people. Amazing. And what projects are you currently working on? It sounds like you've got a lot in your, in your palette, which is brilliant. Is like, what, like, are there any particular projects that you're working on that I haven't covered yeah, there's some exciting stuff coming up. I've got a, so my first kind of two-dimensional visual art piece is going to be published in 
in in a book soon called The New Normal, which is really exciting. Oh, well, there's something I can't really talk about, but I'm going to do a performance in August. It's going to be live streamed. And that's going to have just only my family members in it. Seven of my family, all women, and the youngest one is child, small child. No, youngest one is baby, small baby. Eight, oh yeah, eight of them. Yeah, and they're going to be my backing dancers which is going to be really great because we this is what we do in my family like my sister got married a couple of years ago and and I was just like I was just awestruck I was like okay everyone's a performer and everyone created their own amazing dances and like people turned up at the wedding and this guy was like I want to book your family like with like the Von Trapp family singers or something (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's coming up and I'm going to be making a piece which is going to be like inspired by hammams. I'm really into public bathing cultures, like group bathing cultures. So So to finish off this interview, how can we watch this live stream performance with you and your family? Because that sounds amazing. Like I'm in. I know. I can't tell you yet. It hasn't been announced. (laughs) Okay. That's fine. So, but we can find it out through socials or through signing up to your newsletter, which is why. Yeah. Work- Sign up to my newsletter. It's quite exciting. And during lockdown, I've got quite into like sharing other artists' stuff as well. And I mean, like you're doing, Bish, I think it's so great. It's like, it's not all, it's like sometimes it's way more fun talking about other people's stuff, right? You no, know, I love it. You know, it's refreshing, I- isn't it? Other people's stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or just, you know, f- finding finding energy and inspiration and a sense of like learning and education of other of other artists like I really I really live for that yeah yeah you know so so thank you thank you so much to Wando for being such an inspiring guest this week and thank you all for tuning in and subscribing thanks to the rattle for all of their technical support on this podcast you can find out more about Witch at Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.com forward slash Witch. You can go to Witch.com to find out news and updates and to sign up to our monthly newsletter. Until next time, thanks and goodbye.